Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Welcome again, everyone, to the State of America podcast. I am your host, David. I'm here with my other host, Mr. Ian Rice. Ian, how are you doing this evening? I am very well, sir. How are you? I am well. Cannot complain. Uh, We're sitting here recording this on Sunday night, June 16th. Some big news dropped last night on social media that has made all of us very happy. I'll let you be the Dan Rather of the two of us and break the news to everyone. Oh, well, it looks like uh, the the wait and the anxiety is over for fans of the true... uh, No, fans of the Magpie Salute. I'm uh, mentioning the Facebook page instead of the band. Um, looks like the album's going to be coming out October 11th with a uh, um, an EP shortly before that, a limited edition EP, and then a single sometime, uh, I think it was the first week of August, was it not? I believe that's what it said. The limited edition EP has me very intrigued. Me too. It's very ambiguous. So, uh, you know, it just doesn't say if it'll be stuff that's not on the record or... So I'm, I'm I'm interested in that. I'm I'm interested all over. I think it's great, and um, you know it, it's kind of fun. And I understand the uh, the mindset, of course. You, you you panic, but when you don't hear anything from these bands, especially in the in the day and age of instant information, but uh, it looks like everybody can put their worries to rest. Because um, as as you would point out to me, David, the uh, the post had uh, hashtags for every current member of the band in it so uh, that's a good sign well in the day before rumors were were flying all over the well that mark was still in the magpie and all systems go yep so it looks like that uh that source who's been a continued source uh over the years is seems to be quite reliable also of note they did tag uh slocum and i know he is going on tour with jimmy herring uh this fall but if the album does not come out to October, stands to reason they're probably not going to tour until at least October, which would free him up, if I'm thinking correctly. Yeah, it seems like everything might uh, fall in line, and, and that's a great thing. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this record, only because early on, if you remember, they were all saying how, how much they liked the second one, you know, even perhaps more so than the first. And... Um, so that's got me intrigued. I don't. I wonder if uh, Killing Moon is uh, going to be on it, or if that's just going to be relegated to the Record Store Day you know, ten inch that came out. Because originally, at one point, you know, Rich had been mentioning on stage that it was going to be on that on High Water too. So who knows? I'm very interested to hear, to hear the album. I almost think on the first one they picked songs intentionally that did not sound like Crow's songs. There was yes. that that I was very diverse, and I think that was maybe to put the put the word out that we're not going to be exactly a crone a crow's um, clone. So I, I think I like that album. And I think this one, from everything we've heard, I've I've seen for a couple of people online have actually heard it and say that's the better of the two. So I uh, cannot wait. Like I said, though the the limited edition EP has really piqued my interest and 
ready to give some information on that. And hopefully this puts a lot of the rumors to rest that have been going crazy for the last six or seven weeks. Yeah. And, I, and who are these people that have heard it and why have they not uh, contacted me? But, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I mean, there was a big concern that, um, oh, you know, um, you know, Mark's not going to continue on with it. And, and then, but you know, it seems like they just took a, a break. And I think that's ultimately, you know, a lesson learned for them. Cause I think a lot of the, uh, I know, uh, from speaking with him, a, a big reason that, uh, Mark packed it in, in 06 was just, you know, fatigue issues. I mean, he was really, you know, he didn't, and it, cause that, if you remember the 05, 06 period, it started with that short run in New York and then it became a full tour and then it just kept touring and touring and touring. And I think it just built from something they didn't, you know, they expected it to be more limited and, uh, Perhaps they went on a bit long for Mark, and he just couldn't do it. So it's good that they took a break, I think. Well, it seems as if Chris and Rich are just perfectly happy with living on the road. Yeah, they're road dogs, you know? They play a lot. So maybe just everybody need to recharge their batteries and get them fully set. And uh, if that means they tour a little bit less, but we still get music and, and still get them touring, I'm perfectly okay with that. I see, the funny thing is, too, it's like they say, oh, well, you know, tour less or... Or they, you know, they haven't announced the tour. They've toured for a band that's been active for you know roughly two years now. They've 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 done a lot of touring, a lot more so than a lot of other bands. You could say, you know, big bigger acts, you know, that don't tour as much. So it's uh, you know they're doing all right, and I think I think it'll ultimately be a great record and a great tour. So as long as, as long as you just hold out just a little bit longer, make it through the summer, you know. Well, that'll give us something to look forward to though in the fall when a lot of bands aren't touring. That's true, but uh, but you know to keep it uh, keep things even here, we should also mention that uh, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood's uh, latest record came out. Uh, was it uh, was this week? Was it not? It was. It's Friday. Servants of the Sun. I ordered it on vinyl. I've gotten some information from Amazon that it's going to be July the ninth before I get it. So I actually had a uh, uh, a day of driving Friday. Uh, pulled it up on Spotify, listened to it all the way through, probably three times on my drive. I think it's the best album since Big Moon Ritual, and I honestly think it's the most accessible album that the Brotherhood has put out. Most of the songs are fairly concise. I think the longest one may be five and a half minutes or six minutes. There aren't any ballads. Isn't really anything that I would say is spacey or psychedelic, except for maybe they have like a 45-second instrumental on there that's a little out there. But the rest of it sounds really good. It's upbeat. I read where Chris said there were he told the guys there would be no acoustic guitars on this and no ballads, and every song that was recorded would be intended to play live. And I think they have played all of these live already. Uh, Venus and Chrome and the Chauffeur's Daughter have been around in the set list for a long time. You might recall the Chauffeur's Daughter video was the first thing to come out for the album. It got a lot of uh, talk on social media, but I really think this is the most accessible one. I really like it. I've, t I've mentioned it on Twitter. Everybody that uh, has responded has kind of said basically the same thing. So if you've the last couple albums you thought were a little too psychedelic and kind of out there. This one is a lot more conventional and I think is the will wind up being the second best one of the group after Big Moon Ritual. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I purchased it. I'm still one of those odd people that purchases CDs, so I uh, <laughs> I have it. I have, I've yet to get to it in the, uh, the listening um, lineup, but uh, yeah, you uh, you had been saying how it was much more concise, much more straightforward in terms of more maybe more of a rock type record, you know. So it's it's intriguing. Um, I, you know, you well know my my history with the CRB. So, um, but I, I, that being said, I do purchase every one of their albums and I, you know, I do listen to each one and try to give it a fair shot. So we'll see how it goes with that. Well, Neil Casal posted a Instagram post talking about the album. If you read between the lines, he's basically saying it's over and he enjoyed his time. Yeah. Which is, um, I mean, it's kind of sad because as you had just mentioned, you know, it, the intent was to, play the songs live and now they're not doesn't seem like they're gonna get much live aside from you know anything that was played before the album came out of course he will land on his feet he's i think one of the true nice guys in music i've never heard anybody say anything negative about him i really i actually enjoyed his playing with uh, ron adams and the cardinals more than i do in the crb he brought so much to that band like i think i've said on here before i saw the final concert that they ever did probably if i had to rank my concerts it's probably my second favorite concert i've ever seen uh, he just added so much to them and i think he'll land on his feet and do just fine the uh the circles around the sun uh instrumental group that he has with uh adam mcdougall is apparently doing really well and um as far as like selling tickets most of the shows I see, it looks like there's a lot of people here they played here uh not too long ago actually it was the week that adam left the band officially left the band um, i wanted to try to catch it but i could not get off work in time to go but uh, he'll land on his feet and i listened to an interview this week where chris said he's may put out a s- solo album which i think would be very interesting to hear i know he's really gotten involved with the Greenleaf rustlers i see they have a lot more dates lined up and so maybe even he records under as the crow flies banner i don't know but I'm looking for like looking forward to whatever he does. Like I've said, uh, I'm one of those few people I think that um, hasn't really taken a side either way uh, completely. At least when it comes to buying the music, like you, I buy everything that members of the band put out uh, for anything. If for any other reason, just to be an archivist and um, you know have that. Uh, I feel like uh, as much as they've given to me, I can at least do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the same approach. I buy, I buy everything, even, uh, you know, even if I don't necessarily enjoy the particular project, I buy it because it supports that project, and thus, in a weird way, keeps the other things I am interested in viable. You know what I'm saying? So, everybody's got. Everybody's got to eat, you know. So. That's true. <laughs> well, next week, I want to tell everybody that we're going to have a episode devoted to the first Chris Robinson album after he left the Black Crows, the New Earth Mud album. So there's going to be a, a cool giveaway on that one that I think you'll really enjoy. We recorded it actually, I think, two weeks ago, but we're going to put it out next week. We wanted to record this one tonight so that we could discuss the Magpie News because that's a big deal uh, for, for all of you listening. But we have a special giveaway for this week that Ian has come up with. Ian, why don't you explain 
our contest. All right. Well, this week, uh, the, uh, the bulk of our discussion is going to be, uh, David and I each came up with a, uh, a dream set list, if you will. Uh, so, uh, we're going to go back and forth discussing those, you know, our ideal set list. If we went to see a crow show, uh, you know, what would be, what would be the ultimate evening for us? So we had some guidelines for ourselves and then we decided, uh, it would be cool if you guys sent us in your ideal set list following the, uh, you know, the same rules. Just, uh, so it's a two, 10, 10 song sets and a three song encore. Now for the two, 10 song sets, um, it's a maximum of three unreleased tracks and three. Uh, cover tracks everything else has to be released material re- released original material and then uh even though we didn't do this kind of for ours we we decided that the encore for you guys would be a three song wild card so you don't have to adhere to any rules for that so just send your set list to state of at gmail.com and we will review those and we will decide which one's our favorite and that person will receive a copy of Amorica, the reissue on 180 gram vinyl. All right, and just to clarify, the Lost Crows album counts as unreleased and B sides because it it was just a hodgepodge of things that were never officially released. So if you use a song off that, that counts as one of your unreleased and B side selections. Yes, we have to make that stipulation because I was the one that uh, wasn't sure about that when we were doing it amongst ourselves. So. Yeah, so uh, the more the merrier, and uh, you can win yourself a nice Black Crows vinyl. So give it a shot. We look forward to it. And I have the reissue, and it sounds great. I believe it has Just Say You're Sorry on it. Um, what are the other two unreleased tracks on there? Do you remember? On the reissue? Yeah. I, uh... It has Melody... Offhand, offhand, I don't remember, to be honest I think with you. it has... Out of, of Arm's Reach. I think it has Mellow Down Easy on it as well. Now, I think that's on Three Snakes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's right. That is on Three Snakes. And so is Just Say You're Sorry. All right, never mind. Yeah. I'm, I've lost my mind here for a second. I got to thinking about my dream set list and couldn't couldn't think I straight. Know. It was, I know. I felt like a like a, uh, a little kid doing this. You know, I was so excited about it. It was like it could have been Christmas morning for me putting together this dream set list. I did, too. It, the, it came to me Friday when I was driving. I was like, we need to do a dream set list episode because – that is something that's been message board fodder for, for years. And you have people that dissect set list and uh, just like a, talking about a football game on Monday morning, uh, an NFL yeah. game that took place on Sunday, people just dissecting them and wishing they would do this and wishing they would do that. So uh, we have come up with our ideal set list. And what we're going to do is I'm going to go over mine first and Ian's going to interject where he so chooses and vice versa when he gets to, uh, to his like we said, two 10-song set lists, a max of three covers, and a max of three unreleased B-sides with a three-song encore. So, Ian, drum roll. I'm going to, uh, let's pretend that the uh, Nag Champa has been lit. The, uh, the, the, the music is playing, the lights have gone down, and the boys walk out on stage. I'm going to start the show off the same way my first Crow show I ever saw started off. One of my favorite opening songs, Midnight from the Inside Out. No surprise there if you've listened to uh, some of our past podcasts. Yes, no, I definitely I knew in my heart that you would be going with this one even before you sent me your your list. And uh, uh, it's a great opener. Uh, you know, as we discussed uh, 
um, on previous episodes, I think a couple of times actually. It's just that's one of those ones that, that lights the uh, lights the fire, so to speak, and it's uh, it's a great one. Nice pick. Number two has to be Sting Me. There's no other choice. Oh, come me. on, that's a you know that's a given, a, a given right? <laughs> Regardless of who's in the band or what tour they're on, this is the the usual number two song if it's going to be played from ever from everything I can remember. Yeah, actually, it's a funny thing you mentioned that because I was I was listening to I said let me go listen to their last official show which was uh december 14th 2013 and I, I i just put it on and i was listening to it and and sting me was third and i wow. said what is this about this is breaking the rules here you know <laughs> they just said screw it that's <laughs> right <laughs> it's they, bro- they broke the uh the, the uh, tradition you know all right so we need to slow things down a little bit because we've had two rockers right out of the gate I'm gonna put uh chris on the french harp and we're going to play good friday one of my favorite songs off one of my favorite Black Crows albums, Three Snakes. Excellent track. And if, uh, you know, the, excite- the excitement amongst fans, I mean, at least the, uh, you know, the diehards anyway, if you get this song on a Friday, oh, man, you might as well, uh, it's like the greatest thing ever. Or yeah. especially if it's Good Friday itself. And you know it's going to be a good set. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's acoustic, too. All right. Next is I'm going to go with Hotel Illness. You got to pick things back up. No matter how many times I hear this song live, it always gets me and just I can't dance. I'm a terrible dancer, but it at least makes me think about trying to dance. Uh, just has <laughs> just has I just love it. Love everything about the song. Um, even liked it when they did it acoustically with Steve and the uh, band leaders. Uh, I mean, in the band uniform doing it. But this is one I never get tired of hearing. It's uh, Hotel Illness is a great tune. I mean, from a, from a musician standpoint, um, it was one of the easier Black Crow songs to learn on guitar. I know I speak from experience, but it's so catchy, and it's really proof that uh, you know musically something doesn't have to be overly complicated to be fantastic. And uh, I, I always liked. I didn't personally. I didn't get this in a lot of shows I've been to. So whenever I did get it, I always considered it a real treat. All right, so next we're going to mellow things out a little bit with Under a Mountain. One, Another song that when you get that, that's usually a signal that it's going to be a special show. Yeah, I'd say so. And, uh, you know, it's one of those one of those songs that, like, lives in the lore of the Black Crows because uh, Lay Down with Number 13 has been a recurring theme, you know, over there over time for them so you know that's it's a lyric that always stands out i uh again i don't know if i've ever seen this one live they all kind of all the shows kind of sometimes merge together in my head but it's a great one i'm surprised um you know a lot of people i would think would go with this as an opener because it opens the album you know so it'd be like a but i I like where you've put it in the uh in the set a little bit into it kind of you know it's a good spot for it all right, so I'm going to have to make a correction to my list that I sent you. I just realized I made a mistake. I sent Uh-oh. you If It Ever Stops Raining. That's technically yeah. on the Lost Crows, which would put me at four. So uh-huh. I'm going to do By Your Side. I think, oh, I think by a your, sneaky last-minute switch. <laughs> by Your Side after Under a Mountain, I think, is both kind of the same tempo. I was re- listening on that interview. Apparently, Chris is really partial to By Your Side, really enjoys the song. So... Um, I like that in there. It's a it's a mid tempo, but it's a kind of a feel good song, which um, I really like. It's it's placing on that, and 
when I've seen the crows by your side, if it gets played, is usually usually in the the top half of the first set. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I always I always like by your side as a track. I, it's a toss up for me. I bounce back and forth between if I prefer by your side or if it ever stops raining. But ultimately, I actually think by your side is the I don't want to say better, but catchier chorus. Because uh, if it ever stops raining, was a little bit, uh, you know, they just kind of repeated the line. Whereas the the one under by your side is lyrically a little more, stru- you know, uh, structured. I would say that's true. All right, so the next one is going to slow things down a little bit, but provide an intense solo from Mark Ford, and that's going to be sometimes salvation. And we both mentioned on our Riff Raff Volume 1 episode that we thought this was one of the better Mark Ford solos. Oh, absolutely. And uh, that's, that's why I asked you uh, when, we were, when you were going over the rules that you came up with for this, or the guidelines, um, if it was era-specific, because certain songs I would include. You know, if, if we were seeing Mark, I'd want to see this desperately. If it's someone else, maybe not so much. This so, show, my, my show's taking place in 97. Yeah, I, I was kind of putting myself in about 96, 97, too. I think that's a given, really, you know? <laughs> All right, but, so, uh, so we, yeah, we slowed things down with Sometimes Salvation. It's time to pick them back up. Need to go into a, an old one from the first album. Um, just a, a barn burner of a song, Stare It Cold. Yeah, this one is on, on my list, too. I will not reveal the location just yet, but I, I always liked this song, and I liked it much more live than I ever did on the record. It, it, that That's one of those songs that, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, where you, you've heard them on the album and you, you like them, but it doesn't necessarily hit you. And then you see it in concert and you go, man, I didn't realize how great that was. I got to go back. and It's a barn burner live. Yeah. For sure. All right. So the next song is going to be one that it will sure bring the house down. Girl from a pawn shop. Maybe Mark Ford's finest moment in the Black Crows, in my opinion. A song that makes the hair stand up on my arm every time I hear it. Uh, I just really think this is one of the definitive Black Crow songs. It is. You know, a lot of people point to, you know, the 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 easier choices, perhaps, uh, you know, Remedy, uh, sometimes Salvation, you know, things like that. But Girl from a Pawn Shop it was never a single. It's kind of buried in the middle of the Three Snakes album, but it is, uh, this song, I, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, is a heartbreaker. Musically, lyrically, I mean, it really, if you're not touched by this song in some way, then, uh, you know, you need to uh, see a doctor because there's something wrong with you, you know? <laughs> and it is one of those few Crow songs that the lyrics are pretty much straightforward. Yes. It really is, uh, it's not, you know, uh, po- as poetic as Chris tends to get sometimes or, or you know, uh, disjointed you know as, as cool as some of his lyrics are if you really sit there and go think about it you go well that, I, that doesn't really mean anything this actually is a story almost you know it's, it's great all right so the last song of the first set we've got to end on a high note we got to end with a jam and something that just absolutely rocks and that's going to be exit oh yeah end on a high note for sure and uh i that definitely has to be played in the Mark era, because there's a thing on this that, for some reason, the other other guitar players in the Crows, whether they didn't want to, just because they wanted to put their own stamp on it or, or what have you, but there's a, a line, a little, just a simple, like, three, four note guitar thing that Mark does in the main riff that almost makes the song, you look for it when they, when they play it live, so... 
I'll have to put a little example of it uh, in the final episode just so people know what I'm babbling about. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to take a bathroom break, get a beer. We're going to come back, and uh, uh, this is another unreleased, my second unreleased track, which is one of my favorites, and I love it to open the second set. I have some bootlegs of them doing it in 05, 06. It's Waiting Guilty. Now, when they play it, they've got to start out really slow, strumming the guitar, build, 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 and then kick into the song. An incredible moment whenever they do that. A song that was actually recorded, I believe, during Shake Your Moneymaker and was released as a B-side then. The live version blows the studio version out of out of the water. Um, so I would like for them to stretch it out maybe to six or seven minutes. Really build the intro for about two minutes and then kick into it. One of uh, one of Chris's um, great uh, great vocals on it. I love how he sings on it. I really do. So I, you know, I went back and listened to the B side, and it, it, you're you're absolutely right. It, it, it pales in comparison to the uh, to the live version. The way they just stretch it out. I mean, it's it can't be beat. And it really got played a lot once Ford came back in 05 and 06. It, it really it showed up a lot more regularly um, than it than it had in the past. And I actually saw him with Luther play this too, and, and he did a great job on it. Yeah, I mean, for something that, for me, became defined by a lot of Mark's guitar work on it, Luther you know, did add something to it that was his own, you know. When it's slide, it's slide heavy. So, I mean, that's in Luther's wheelhouse. Oh, certainly is. He's a fantastic slide player. All right. So the next song is going to be technically one song. It's going to be Thorn's Progress, and it's going to develop into Thorn in My Pride. Thorn's Progress, to me, adds so much to a show. Uh, it's one of those long jams that, regardless if you've ever heard it or not, it gets your feet stomping and gets you ready, and then it bleeds right into Thorn in My Pride, which is one of the all-time great Black Crow songs that I never get tired of hearing. It's one that they could play every show and I don't get tired of. Very mellow, very cool. I don't think we've actually mentioned it before. One of the standout tracks on what I think is the best Crows album, Southern Harmony. Um, so between Thorn's Progress and Thorn in My Pride, this one's probably going to be an 11 or 12 minute song. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the jam is fantastic on that. But, uh, you know, uh, even more so, something that doesn't get mentioned that often, I, in my opinion, talking about this song is Ed's, Ed's piano playing on this which I believe uh, Chris referred to in the VH1 Storytellers as Sunday music. So, you know, I, I always thought that was kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, the, the jam is definitely unbelievable. One of their best. All right, speaking of Sunday music, we gotta we got to make everybody feel good and get everybody back up on their feet. Soul singing, a song that once it was introduced into the set was pretty much played as almost as much as some of the, the big hits from the first two albums. Yeah, I mean, are you going for the uh, the o five o six one where the, the the Mark and Rich jam is is, of course. is snuck in the middle there? Yeah, of course. That, to me, that brought a whole new uh, uh, aspect to that song, and I really I was I was disappointed when they stopped doing it after Mark left. Like I thought they could have maybe changed up the jam, but kept that middle jam, and it really made a kind of a cool moment. Definitely right. a nice pick, though. All right, so my next song I think is one of the most underappreciated Crow songs. Better when you're not alone. I think it gets lost on that second side of Three Snakes. They don't play it just a ton. I have a few versions of it. I, I think this would be a perfect place to put it in. 
you've played soul singing. This brings things back down to uh, a little more mellow. Really some great lyrics by Chris and probably the only semi-positive song on Three Snakes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, almost lyrically, it's almost out of place in a way, but uh, it's also an, a rare moment, I think, for for Chris because it's a little, it's like having a sense of humor about himself, really lyrically, and in a way, uh, if you if you look into the context of it a little bit. I always liked it. You're absolutely right, though. They don't play it a lot. They don't play it nearly as much as they should. Um, I don't know if that's because it's it's a little bit more acoustic bass at, at the foundation. Um, but yeah, great pick. All right, so the next song is going to be the classic Descending. There's nothing more that really needs to be said. This is Ed Harsh's finest moment as a member of the Black Crows. The long outro to this day gets me every time. Yeah, I mean, and I there's this, uh, a special thing I have about Descending after the passing of, of Ed. Um you know, I was I was lucky enough, lucky enough to be there the first night of the uh, Magpie Salute when they performed those uh, four shows in, in New York City. And the first night they did the show open with about I think it was about a 10, 15 minute video tribute to Ed. And it starts with um, the intro, like the, the studio version intro playing at the end of that video. And then and it totally surprised me. It's one of the few more recent concert surprises I've ever had curtain drops and they kick the full band kicks into descending and that really and that that's my memory of that song now and how how closely tied it is to Ed and that's really his you know his his uh, calling card so to speak you know I always loved it most of the time when you would watch videos of that song on the outro the other band would just kind of stand in awe the other members yeah and it's it's one of those things that you have to get it really doesn't. I mean, it, it, you can hear it in concert with you know any of the other eras, and enjoy it. But there's it's just something missing. And and you listen to the, the 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 intro and especially the outro. You listen to the way the other players play it, and you, you in your head you're going, ah, it's not it's not quite right, you know. But uh, all right. So my next song is my first cover, and my methodology to picking covers was I wanted a, each cover a different member of the band to sing. So we've talked about this before off the time fades away album by Neil Young, LA, a song that Mark is cuss. It was just like it was written for Mark that he just destroys it on and that got played a lot that Oh five Oh six tour. Uh, some of those versions are really some of the highlights of the tour. Oh yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's almost like it was written for Mark because when I saw it in, um, july of 06 you know at time fades away was not an an easily accessible album and it was hard to even find information so when i went digging around i didn't find that find anything at first i just thought it was a mark song i mean that's how that's how well he does that song you know it's definitely one of my favorites and drew me to time fades away which is a which is a great album i don't understand why neil hates it so much but we'll have to next time we have dave chamberlain on we'll have to ask him that because he uh He's a huge Neil Young fan, especially from that era. All right, it's not going to be a Black Crows show without Wiser Time. I decided to put it here because I wanted the end of the sh- the end of the second set just to be pedal to the metal. This is obviously a little more mellow. 
I would like to see the traditional jam where you have um, the whoever's on keys gets a little bit of a solo at first, and then whoever is on lead guitar plays. Or I, and I think Rich usually ends it, or does Rich usually go first? I can't remember. Anyway, they'll both trade off licks and. Each one of them will get a moment to build the jam to a climax and they'll bring it back down for the next one and then it goes back to it at the end, which is always a highlight for me. Uh, one of the songs, I, I think I've mentioned this before, if an alien came down and said, who are the Black Crows in three songs, this is one I, I have to give them. Yeah, because it really sums them up as a touring band, I think. It's a road song, you know, as they say in the song. But, I mean, it really is a road song. And uh, it's definitely... Yeah, there's no uh, my 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 personal favorite version of this is that one from '96, the uh, three meter sessions, the thing they did in uh, I believe it was uh, it was in Europe, I believe it was Holland. Uh, you know, it was like an, a live in studio kind of thing. There's a video of it. There's a bootleg, and that that's great. Uh, it's just such a a great song. I know this may make some people mad, but when I saw As the Crow Flies, I thought Marcus and Audley did a really good job on this. Yeah, I can't say that I've. Um, I've seen any clips of uh, of them doing it, but uh, you know it's um, it's not as much as it is Mark and Rich's you know a chance for them to do their interplay. I think a lot of other people that have come through the band have put an interesting stamp on it, and you know, I mean, you know, Adam McDougall got uh, flayed alive for his his take on uh, his middle section in that song, his solo section, and it's almost unfair in a way because I mean. What are you going to do? You're going to do Ed's playing. I mean, it's 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 he'd be crucified for that, so he might as well just try his own thing. Right. (laughs) He's screwed either way. (laughs) All right. So this next song is going to be the highlight of the set for me. It's going to be. I knew it. It's going to be the live debut of Life Vest, my favorite song off the Lost Crows. As far as I can tell, the closest they ever came to playing it was a show in Europe, and I should have wrote the date down. It was entitled Life Vest Jam. It's 45 seconds long. It's basically the opening riff. I think this is one of the most unique songs they have ever written. The harmonies on this between Chris and Rich and whoever else is singing is just absolutely great. And this song just has a it just has a very mellow, almost floating quality to me that I kept thinking one of the Magpie were breaking out these super rare songs. I mean, they were playing Exit. They played when I saw them. They played "Don't Wake Me." Rich said that's the first time he played it in like 25 years, and I kept thinking I'm going to pull up one of these Magpie set lists, and Life Vest is going to be on there. But so far, they haven't done that. No, and and I've uh, I'm surprised because it's uh, it's a highlight on a on a album full of highlights. Really, I mean, it, I've always loved that song, and I, for the same reasons you mentioned, just the the harmonies, and I like the lyrics and the riff, and I don't know, it's it's a if we ever, or uh, you know, have the opportunity to uh, ask somebody directly involved, uh, that's one of the first questions. What's the deal with this? What are you doing? Why are you sitting on this forever? You know. Exactly. There, there's a lot of questions like that I would have. Why? <laughs> why have tied up and swallowed? Never make it on an official release. You know, and yeah. that's another one I could have gone to, but I, I, I didn't. So we're getting close to the end. Next to last song, I like this song either as the opening song, or toward the end of a second set no speak no slave with mark absolutely amazing and i have some people every now and then 
I talk about the crows so much that I'm sure people get tired of hearing me talk about it. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I have some friends that are like, I really like those first two albums. I didn't like what happened after that. Uh, and I explained to them, they're basically a, a slice of Americana music. They, they have a little bit of everything, but at their core, they are a rock and roll band. The 1992 tour, any show they open this up with, I challenge you to find a more intense version than what they were doing in 92. The band was absolutely on fire. Mark brought so much to this. And the unsung hero in those live versions is Eddie Harsh. He is he is pounding the organ. Um, uh, this one does not get old. Matter of fact, honestly... None of the songs get old for me live off of Southern Harmony, except sometimes Remedy can get a bit repetitive. But this one is one that I, if I go to see the Crows, I'm always hoping they they slip it in the set list. I agree, and you know, and we, you know, when we were talking about that live version, I think I think it was we used it as an outro track on one uh, by your selection, and yeah, I mean, and that I you're absolutely right about Ed too is. Uh, live, you hear his organ a bit more. Like on the on the studio version, it's uh, it's a little bit more buried in the mix. So I mean, hey, who doesn't want to hear more Ed? You know. Exactly. All right. So last song of the of the second set, you've got to have a barn burner. You've got to have a jam. You've got to have one that just drains you of adrenaline because the encores are going to start out slow for me. So we gotta we gotta build you back up. To me, the perfect song to end any Black Crows concert. Drag it out 12 to 13 minutes, my morning song. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, what is the, how could you, I don't understand there could be an argument against my morning song being in any set because it's, it's one of those few songs that, like, as you mentioned before, if somebody came down from another world and said, define this band for me, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of songs, uh, this would be one I would throw in. So, you know, and a nice a nice closer to a set that really ends the show, the main part of the show on a high note as far as I'm concerned. So wonderful pick on your part. And I was playing around on YouTube. There's a great version from the Glastonbury Festival. I think it was in 96 of them playing this. It's, it's a pro shot video. The sound quality is great. Mark is on fire. So if you're interested, go find that. All right. So the, fa- the, the band takes a bow. They walk off the stage. Everybody does the clap until they come back out. Uh, initially probably rich chris and mark come out and they go into the little feet classic willing we talked about this on our covers episode this is a this is just a great song it's one also it's another i know i'm repeating myself if you see it in a set list you know it it was a good show i think it's a great way to start off the um the second set this is a cover obviously that chris sings it's a great version on the chronology album on the bonus on the bonus edition so willing i never get tired of hearing regardless of who plays it no and it, it, it's uh it's always been a, a favorite little feet song of mine and and uh, i love the way they cover it it actually that is a prime example of which i mentioned on our covers episode it's uh one of the songs that sent me back to the little feet catalog you know and hey what can go wrong with that you know all right, so they've played Willing. It's time for Rich to get his time on lead vocals. Everybody knows this is nowhere from Neil Young. 
my favorite version of it is probably the one on the Live at the Fillmore albums from the Farewell Tour in 2010. Those are actually available on iTunes. At the end of each show, there was a common theme to the encores, and so this was Neil Young night. They jam it out at the end, which I think it sounds really good. This is another song that Rich picked that suits his voice just ideally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's very adept at picking things that will work vocally for him, and and uh, oftentimes I prefer he picks some you know left to center stuff that I prefer his version more than the original. So you know, like uh, a prime example of that would be "Oh Sweet Nothing." You know, great cover. All right, so everybody's had their shot at singing. We've done the covers, like I said earlier. At its essence, this is a rock and roll band, and this is a rock and roll show. Let's close out with Twice as Hard. I love how they end it every time. Uh, It gets kind of chaotic at the end, and then they just abruptly end it, which I think is just, that gets me every time. This is a foot stomper, one of the first songs I remember hearing by them. It's a song, I guess, of their hits off the first album that I never get tired of hearing. I think it's a great way to close a concert. Oh yeah, you're definitely sending people home happy when that's the last, uh, the last tune. You know, it's uh, it's high energy and uh, you know it'll leave you with a good memory. I think, and it's uh, it's one of the standouts on the on the first record, of course. A great version to go on YouTube and look is from uh, it's a show in Britain, and uh, they play the song with the Stereophonics, and Kelly from the Stereophonics takes one of the verses. Uh, it's a really good, it may have been on live with Jules Holland. I think it was, because I think he's playing the keys on it. So, uh, Ian, it was night one. Everybody goes home happy, sleeps in, mellows <laughs> out, gets ready for the next night, and they show back up. What are they going to get? All right. So, uh, let's see if uh, how mine stacks up against yours here. Um, now, I'm opening my first set. With something that was on your on your list, but uh, in a, in a much different spot. I'm opening with Stereo Cold, so because uh, I I got that as an opener one time, and I realized how strong an opener it was. So you know, definitely, uh, that's in the first position of the first set for me. No no argument for me on that. And my opinion on openers, they it needs to be the one or two. It doesn't need to be in between. It needs to just be a foot stomper. Or super mellow. Yep, and that one's I a foot agree. stomper. It certainly is. Uh, you know, just every, everybody gets clapping along with uh, Steve's, you know, uh, kick drum. You know what I mean? So that's that's a good one. And of course, as we spoke about before, I got Sting Me in position two, and then I go right into She Gave Good Sunflower, which is another. You know, as we're talking about uh, kind of quintessential Ed moments, I think his playing on that really. Uh, stands out and the interplay between rich and mark is is strong there that one got put on the cutting room floor final cut i put in by your side shows that over by your side could have gone with either one i like song number three to either be slow or mellow because if you have two strong songs right out of the gate you tend to lose the audience i think if if you go hard and heavy on the third one You you need a little bit of a come down and this is a great one to do. Makes you feel good. Just makes you happy. Uh, no complaints on that one. Yeah, and then uh, so then I go to something from the same era, but uh, one that was uh, 
left off the album, as we just mentioned before, I uh, tied up and swallowed. No complaints. No complaints. I just couldn't, I couldn't find a way to work it in and make everything else work. I, I think this is, this is on up there with life vest is the, you know, WTF moment of how these things didn't get on an album. This thing to me had radio single written all over it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would have to agree. I definitely could have gotten some rock radio play, especially at that time and, and done well. It's funny that you mentioned what you, what you just mentioned before about, uh, you know, trying to find things to fit in. Like a lot of the songs on your set list, I were, were in the running for me, but I, I, sacrificed favorites for like a nice flow so you know um which is why and this is another one from your set list now i'll I'll work quick so when i did on my other podcast when i had uh craig on we talked about amorica and he is a musician and he actually mark has played on his albums so his theory was the reason that got left off amorica was it would have regardless of where it was put in it would have interrupted the flow on amorica I could see that because it really doesn't fit. It's it's not. I mean, the only position you could have had that in was opener, but you know, Gone is really strong as an opener on that album too. Right. So you know, I, I would definitely agree with his assessment of that. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, so next up for me was uh, one that was on your list as well. You know, we've talked about this track many times. Girl from a pawn shop. I think it's it goes into a little bit of a mellow but obviously shoots back up and gets you know things exciting so no complaints and then following that right up is it's going to be an original tied into my first cover pick these are always generally played together and i i really can't have them apart i get disappointed when they're separated really um which is let me share the ride into mellow down easy i love it and like you said they have to be played together just almost like ballad into wiser. Um, this one, this, this is a combo that honestly gets better to me whenever I listen to it. The version on like freaking roll is great. And I love mellow down easy on the live at the Greek album. Uh, it just really showcases the whole band. And it's it, like we've discussed on here before. It's an opportunity for Chris to play harmonica. Oh yeah. And who would ever turn down, uh, an opportunity to hear Chris play the harmonica. I mean, and again, another thing we come back to every so often, he is one of the most underrated harp players, uh, in my in my opinion. Uh, like him and Mick Jagger, like the two like uh, unsung heroes of the harp, really. For sure. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the pairing of uh, Ballad and Wiser because those are my next two picks that are up right after Melodown Easy. Is those two together? Um, those, that's. Generally, what it works out to in in the shows, especially later days, it's about a half hour of just straight music that's hitting your soul because you usually work to about to be about ten fifteen minutes a piece. You know, so I'm gonna make a confession here. On a Morka ballad is just kind of so so for me, but it's one of those songs when it's played live, um, I think a lot more highly of it than I do on the uh, album version. And this is something we've never talked about here before. What is your opinion of Lowdown? I like Lowdown. I see it as like a uh, a building block that got them to Ballad and Urgency. Cause I th- and also the, the piano section, from what I understand it, at uh, the end of Ballad and Urgency was from a different track that they tacked onto that. So it's, it's, you know, 
those two tracks and then that piano part joining them together like that that was the culmination of all that stuff but i do like lowdown i I think it's a, a great track in its own right i do as well and um yeah, I, I would agree with you, too, though. Like, a ballad on the record initially didn't do as much for me. Actually, funny thing is, that, you know, when I was younger, because I, I was about 13, I think, when Amorica came out, um, and listening to it, you know, you have a tendency more to skip around and um, and maybe focus more on the songs you, you already know. So for a lot of times, I would skip over Ballad and Urgency. So I never knew that that drawn out intro before wiser time kicks in that's tacked on to the end of ballad on the album i never knew that existed and when i the first time i heard that it was like it was like a revelation it was <laughs> unbelievable no it, they definitely have to go together as far as i'm concerned but then uh i'm closing out my set list with a a a, a later day favorite you and i have discussed it uh lay it all on me the outro to that live absolutely makes that song i can see that being a great way to send people to the bathroom and to the beer uh concessions before coming back for set two so a really strong first set thank you sir much appreciated (laughs) but uh coming back into the second my second set uh i another one that you uh you had in yours um i open um with uh waiting guilty with the jam i open the second set that way interesting yeah i almost put it in the first set opener slot, but I thought it's kind of cool to come back with something like that. A little more of a rarity, a cool jam, you know, it really gets the sets the tone for the second part of the evening. Um, and then that gives way for me to, uh, downtown money waster, but the electric version, which they played live a lot of times, it is actually on the, uh, the rehearsal bootleg for the band sessions. Um, but I, I counted it as an original in my, running because they did play it live and it is a version of it does exist on, on an album so so i think we have the first one we disagree on uh, this, fan, huh? this song is just never this and p25 london have just never done anything for me and i remember when i had craig on the amorica episode he thought this was just kind of a something that mark and um rich enjoyed playing and so that's why it got on the album you know it, it is different it's unique but uh, it just never has done anything for me. The thing that actually does something for me with this episode is uh, on the electric version, particularly on that bootleg, Steve is in the pocket on that one, and his groove on it is so perfect that uh, that really is what sold me on the electric version. I could, uh, you know, I, I the, the, the album version kind of falls further on my list a bit, and I understand where you're coming from, definitely. But it's kind of just a fun one in concert for me. Um, and then I bring it down next with a little uh, bad luck blue eyes goodbye which is another one of mark's finest uh, solo moments i think this is another one like ballad that it's probably it's probably my it's like ballad it gets better live to me this is honestly probably my least favorite song on southern harmony with that said i still like it uh you know if i was rating it out of 10 it still gets a six but live it's better to me live it, it gets bumped up to a seven or eight especially if mark's playing Definitely if Mark's playing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, right after that, I, I kind of try to kick it back in with uh, Halfway to Everywhere with the extended jam at the end, um, which kind of first came to prominence for me on the uh, freaking roll DVD version uh, you know, with Mark and, and Rich trading back and forth. What I didn't realize about this track is on the Three Snakes 
tour, you know, 96, 97. They didn't play it. It's the only song from Three Snakes they didn't play uh, in concert. They didn't. It didn't get its debut till the '99 tour. Really? Yeah, uh, I, I was really surprised by that because I was trying to, you know, the the nerd in me was trying to put together a live Three Snakes disc to play in the car, and I, so I'm looking through all my '96, you know, uh, liveblackcrows.com downloads and. And so and I couldn't find it, so I went to the Crow's Base, and yeah, ninety nine was the first time. That's odd, and wasn't it during that time frame when they toured with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band? Yeah, that would they would have been perfect for that because you know they have a, a brass band playing on a freaking roll with it. Yeah, it, it doesn't, and they've they've also managed to do it without uh, without uh, you know assistance uh, from a bra- from a horn section or anything like that. So, you know, it's surprising to me that it never came up. Um, you know, and from from there, I go into. Um, I actually picked a song. Well, you had one off by your side, of course. You had the title track, but uh, I picked one from that album also. Uh, Welcome to the Good Times. That is one that's gotten better with me over time because it gets played. It got played a lot. Other than, I guess, probably by your side, it's probably the most played song off of uh, that that I can remember. I love the version that they do on the freaking roll. And uh, it, it, it has grown on me initially. I probably would have poo-pooed that one a couple years ago, but uh, it, it has, it's grown on me. I've always enjoyed it. I actually liked it more live without the uh, the bells at the beginning and the, and the, the production removed from it. Um, it was a very cool guitar harmony that's kind of um, has an effect on it and is buried in the mix on the album, but live uh the second guitar player whoever that might be at the time kind of brings it to the forefront i've always liked it a a, a way i came around to it a little bit more is are you a fan of you know the band not the album that you know the leave on helm and the band you know that i'm a fan kind of i'm a fan of the hits and some of the other stuff i have a couple of their albums i'm not one of these people that you know sings their praises but i'm a casual fan uh the hits i like and i like a few of the deep tracks because I, I, someone pointed this. I, this is not an original thought. Someone else, and I wish I could remember who it was, but uh, and give them the credit. But they pointed it out to me, and I went back to it, listening with it in that way, and it kind of made more sense. It sounds like a, a song the band would do. I can and, see uh, that. I'm very big. I'm I'm uh, not a huge not as huge as some people, but I'm a little bit more than casual with the band. I really appreciate their stuff, and uh, so that that kind of put that song into a different bracket for me after that. Um, and then I followed up with my other two covers. Um, I spent them both together to another. My set is, it seems to be full of songs that go into one another, I guess. But uh, uh, And we mentioned this on our covers episode. It's Hot Burrito 1 and 2. I knew you were going to have that on there. I, yeah. The only, problem, so the only problem is you use two of your bullets with it. I know. I know. But like I mentioned on the, on the covers episode, I can't have them apart. I can't even, you know, on, on the, uh, when I listen to them on at home, I can't have my partner. They just they go together so well for me. So. Solid, solid pick. And then that goes into uh, much along the same lines as um, as you had given for picking your cover selections. I wanted to make sure you know Rich got a vocal showcase in my set, so I went with um, "What Is Home." But I kind of I think I might be cheating slightly because I'm I, in my mind I'm 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 hearing the uh, the Magpie electric version i don't know if they did that version in the crows or not i uh i don't remember i am so glad you brought that up 
on Before the Frost, that's one of my least favorite songs. It does nothing for me at all. The version on that first Magpie Live album is absolutely amazing and one of the better tracks on an otherwise great album. Yeah, I mean, I was always partial to um, the version on Before the Frost. I actually got, because you remember at the time they were doing the Cabin Fever, it was you know no taping and this and that, but of course somebody taped it. And it leaked out there. And that was one of the songs on the, the, the little short tape that got out there. And I heard it. I, it, w- it was the lyrics that I, I really liked. And, uh, but, uh, so I, I liked it more, more than most, I think. But that, that electric version is something else. I mean, it puts it into a different practice. It really is. And then from there, I go into, and I, I swear I didn't do this to pander to you, David, but uh, I go into Life Fest right there. I mean, how can you go wrong? It's a no-brainer. They've got to do it. Yeah, and then uh, and then I close close out my second set with uh, maybe one that's a little more standard, a little more a little more of a hit. But I, I it, it is high energy, and I like to close much like you did yourself on a on a good on a high note. I uh, I picked Remedy. Can't complain with that. It's a great song. There's a version. I believe it's on the Shonuff box set that's live. And I guess it was recorded in Atlanta. And I, I, for some reason, I've always thought it was really cool. I guess it's the final song. And Chris just goes, it's good to be home. And they go right into it, which I, I always thought was pretty cool. Um, th- this one, you know, we've talked about it before. It's a great walk-up song in baseball. It's a great song to open a podcast with. Uh, Howard Stern uses it on the uh, wrap-up show as the intro. Oh, does he? Uh, at least they used to. I haven't listened to that in years, but they that used to be the case just uh, a great song it was the perfect single off that off that album and uh, even though i didn't include it um i can't knock anybody for putting it in yeah it was one of those ones that uh you know i like to hear every once in a while live you know and uh, but it, it it's more for its flow in the rest of my set list i stuck it in there um so then once uh the clapping and chanting subsides and we get the encore um I start my encore with one that w- was in yours, but mine's at the top as opposed to the bottom. It's twice as hard. I feel like uh, that would get the excitement going. When I had it as an opener at Terminal 5 uh, in 2013, very exciting as an opener. So I thought opener of an encore would still have some, some excitement there. And it kind of is a more concise tune after I've had a lot of jams in my in my set. Right, so. yeah, no complaints with that one either. And... Uh, then I go right into my morning song, which uh, I, I thought I picked it and added it to my encore because I thought it was one of those ones that you'd be disappointed that you didn't get in the main show. And then if it popped up in the encore, you'd, you know, you'd kind of be pleased. So um, that's, a, that's a that's a great that's a great thought behind that. Yeah. So and then I, I, I closed it. I take it a little mellow with the last one. But then it this is another one of those ones that has a has a real great outro. And that's uh, from More Paint. It's O Josephine. A great song. One of only two on War Paint. Honestly, well, I guess three songs on War Paint that I actually like. I remember before this album came out, there was all the talk about Chris and Rich wrote this song together and how they both thought it was one of the best songs they'd ever written. Uh, there's a great version, I think, on iTunes. It's like an iTunes Live version. Uh, you know, this may have been one of the last great songs that they wrote together honestly yeah and i you know i understand it's a uh, a particular favorite of rich and um 
I actually like uh, Magpie Wise when Rich takes the vocal. I mean, it's maybe not as you know uh, powerful as uh, Chris's in terms of a uh, you know uh, range, but uh, you know he's he has a lot of emotion in it. So, so I'm sitting here thinking about my songs and your songs. Something immediately popped out. No jealous again. No, she talks to angels, and no hard to handle. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I guess if you approach it from a different standpoint, if you're coming up with a, this is my quintessential set list, and I think you know between mine and yours, a lot of longtime fans would agree with our picks. But you know, one thing I didn't factor in, maybe unfairly, is somebody coming to a show that's casual with them that you're looking to draw in, maybe, and maybe you, you know, maybe it does make sense to include a, you know a hit or two. But I, those songs are just. Not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just they never hit as hard with me as some of the, the other material. You know, Hard to Handle's a cover. It's a great cover. It threw them into the limelight. You know, She Talks to Angels is a great song. It's just played a lot. You know, so I don't know. Do we did we maybe uh, not consider the uh, the new guys, you know, the newbies to the grand band enough? Or? I, I didn't think about them, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, cause I, I thought dream set list, the casual fans going to have remedy. They're going to have jealous again. They're gonna have twice as hard. She talks to angels. Uh, another one that got left off that I thought would make it between, would probably make it on there is seeing things. Yeah. I, you know, I did, uh, early in the running, I, I batted that one around. I liked the tune. I just, it's one of those ones that like, uh, you know, I would sacrifice for something else. You know what I mean? Not that I dislike the song. It's just there's so many others I'd rather hear. I agree. Ian, maybe one day we'll get him to play one of these set lists or at least get like Magpie to play it. Yeah, I mean, I think we did a good job. That'd be something, wouldn't it, if uh, Magpie got a hold of these? Although they've kind of uh, they've gone away from the, uh, the Crow's heavy set list. So, you know, it's probably a, kind of a bit of a far-fetched dream, but not still. Gonna, not going to happen. All right, everybody, so you've heard ours. Now we want to see yours. Go to stateofamork at gmail.com. Leave us your dream set list. Use the parameters which we mentioned at the beginning. Ian and I are going to pick our favorite one, and Ian is going to drop an unopened copy of the Amorca reissue on vinyl, which is a really cool giveaway, I think. Yeah, and it's one one of the things that entered our uh, prize closet just very recently, so it's going out as fast as it came in, but... Uh, I thought uh, people would definitely be interested in that. So, yes. So, two 10-song set lists. Uh, limit yourself to three unreleased tracks and three covers. And then uh, a three-song encore. That's a wild card. You can throw anything you like in there. Send it over. David and I will uh, check them out individually, compare notes together, and then uh, we'll announce the winner on a future uh, episode. All right, so that's going to wrap it up. To play us out this week is a version of Hotel Illness from the TV show Live from the Artist Den, filmed at the Lyric Theater in Oxford, Mississippi. I was lucky enough to be there. I uh, went to college at Ole Miss in Oxford. one of my favorite places on earth, and I got to see my favorite band there. It, the Honestly, though, them recording the show took away from it. There was a large camera boom going out over the crowd. But this version of Hotel Illness is great with Luker, Luker, with Luther on guitar, basically in his own backyard. Uh, I'm sure it was a special show for him. It's a show that I, I still enjoyed, even though they were taping it. Hotel Illness from the Lyric Theater. That's going to wrap it up for this week, everybody. 
We'll be back next week, and stay tall.